You're listening to a podcast from the South China Morning Post. When I say spies, what do you think of? Maybe you imagine covert agents operating in the dark or pulling death-defying stunts. What are you waiting for? I'm jumping out a window. Whatever it is, you don't know their names. Unless they want you to make a whole movie franchise. The name's Bond. James Bond. That's the Hollywood version of intelligence agencies. Real life is far more covert, usually. Now both China and the U.S. are doing the unthinkable, discussing their once secretive work out in the open. This is Inside China. I'm Jasmine Se. One of my colleagues recently reported how the Chinese and American intelligence agencies, like the CIA and FBI, as well as China's Ministry of State Security or the MSS, are suddenly feeling very talkative. But why are spies shining a light on this world of shadows and secrets? Post-U.S. Deputy Bureau Chief Mark Manier has been tailing this story. He's calling in from New York. Hi, Mark. Hi. How are you, Jasmine? I'm good. Mark, it's hard to quantify spying, as you mentioned in your story. We don't know exactly how many spies are operating, both in America and China. But what do we know about their methods? We've heard about Chinese spy balloons and alleged secret overseas police stations. How are the U.S. and China targeting each other? Well, one thing that we're seeing is that it's absolutely without a doubt that that each one is their own primary target these days. There were times when they were actually, you know, getting along relatively well, particularly earlier on when they were. They both had a primary adversary in the former Soviet Union, and was quite a bit of cooperation. So now it's pretty clear that they're both、uh, going spy versus spy at each other full bore. So we have a couple of of things. Basically, China has a kind of an approach that's known as a thousand grains of sand. This is sort of using、uh, students, businessmen, tourists. You blanket the field with people. It doesn't seem like they worry too much if they lose some of them, or that they're too embarrassed if some of them are caught. There's another one that analysts also talk about called "fish at the bottom of the sea," and this is、uh, something that we saw with、uh, a grad student, Ji、uh, Chaochun, who was sentenced to eight years last September. And so that's a case where you have somebody, you recruit somebody, and you sort of edge them into an area that you'd like to gain more intelligence from. Mark, you also wrote how U.S. and Chinese intelligence agencies are now disclosing their work more frequently. Can you first explain to us why that is? Spies are, by definition, secretive. Why would they want to disclose what they're doing? So, some of that is operational. Some of that is being part of the times. One of the more interesting answers to that question that I got from a former spy was that. The spy agencies are basically grappling with much of the same、uh, matrixes that we are with social media, with the onslaught of open source information, etc. And so you are often more evident, more obvious 
if you don't have a presence on social media these days. Um, so they felt that uh, it becomes too obvious if you're if you're still uh, lurking in the shadows, and it, you're much better covered if you are kind of like everybody else. So that's that's one thing. But then there's sort of a lot of reasons that they have for wanting to. One is to look effective to your political leaders. Certainly, President Xi Jinping has made it very very clear that security is paramount in his third term of his administration. There can also be both between the Ministry of State Security and PLA intelligence or between the CIA and the FBI, a rivalry, an effort to gain more budget, what have you, by looking more effective. Um, There's also uh, sometimes a, a desire to recover after embarrassment or taking a hit. So we've seen this with uh, the U.S. took a huge hit uh, around 2010, 2012. We are learning new information surrounding what some consider to be one of the CIA's worst failures in recent history. When a very large number of their agents were rolled up, as they say, were, were discovered and many of them executed in China. How Chinese authorities were able to infiltrate the CIA's network of secret informants. It also reveals the shocking number of spies who were killed while working in the communist country. And uh, for China, the spy balloon in many ways was, was quite embarrassing. The giant Chinese balloon that had been floating across parts of the United States has been shot down by an American fighter jet. The Chinese have apologized and declared the balloon is used for scientific research and that it could have blown off course. But that hasn't stopped the row from escalating. It disclosed sort of gaps between what the operation was and questions about whether President Xi knew about it fully. And so there's a desire after something like that to look effective and to punch back. And what exactly are they disclosing? Surely they're not disclosing everything that they're doing. Uh, No, certainly not. And much of it is quite strategic, really. But what they are disclosing are, it appears, more cases, certainly on the Chinese side than they have in the past. The U.S. has disclosed recently two Chinese-born sailors in San Diego that they were arrested and charged. When a soldier or sailor chooses cash over country and hands over national defense information in an ultimate act of betrayal, we have to be ready to act. There's a former army sergeant, that's only maybe three days ago, that was disclosed. Investigators say after he left the army, he reached out to the Chinese consulate in Turkey and the Chinese security services. He's accused of trying to provide classified info, some of it listed in a Microsoft Word document entitled, quote, important information to share with Chinese government. And then, you know, on the Chinese side, we've seen disclosures of a couple of CIA spies, one named Hao and one named Zhong. One was recruited in Japan, reportedly, and one in Italy. We don't have a first name on them. We don't have exactly when they were recruited. A lot of the analysts I talked to thought they kind of dragged these off the shelves for their current uh, campaign so that they could uh, look effective after creating a the first MSS WeChat account. So as you mentioned, these disclosures are strategic, but are they a recent happening? If so, why now? There have always been disclosures. But as I mentioned before, oftentimes when things are good, you will 
keep those uh, relatively muted. You know, there's kind of a, sometimes a gentleman's agreement between spy agencies. And right now there is very little goodwill, in case you hadn't noticed, <laughs> between the U.S. and China. And in many ways, the espionage area becomes a function of how good your foreign policy is doing. And so oftentimes they would keep things quiet in the interest of keeping the business uh, relationship going, what have you, let's not embarrass the other side, et cetera. And when spy agencies publicize their work, who is their audience? Is it more for their domestic audience or for other countries to see? My own feeling is that it's, especially when it's a public campaign, like we've seen with the MSS, Ministry of State Security's all of society campaign against espionage recently. I think that's primarily for uh, the domestic audience. There is signaling that goes on. For instance, people told me that with these two cases of uh, disclosed CIA agents, uh, Hao and Zhou, and then recently there was another case involving a 78-year-old man who was out of Texas and who had a cover of being a philanthropist. He went by the English name John Long. Now, a 78-year-old American citizen has been sentenced by a Chinese court to life in prison on spying charges. John Leung, who is also a Hong Kong permanent resident, was detained two years ago by state security authorities. She was likely from the FBI. And so what you've done there is you've disclosed some FBI cases or at least one, and you've disclosed some CIA cases. So you're basically signaling to the U.S. side, okay, these are both of your agencies and we're on to you. But probably the more common case is uh, when you are trying to motivate your own people. And that serves a couple of things. One, uh, to sort of inoculate them against the threat so that in theory they won't be as easy to uh, recruit. Or the other thing is to oftentimes to bind the people closer to the leadership, to show there's a foreign threat and therefore you need to be very supportive of the administration or the regime. So both the U.S. and China have many reasons to disclose what their intelligence agencies are doing. But are there any risks to doing this? There certainly are. One that is cited by some of the analysts in this mass campaign that China is waging right now is that there are rewards associated with that. And there are also, in addition to monetary rewards, there are also political rewards, you know, incentives to have you look good, uh, make you feel patriotic, these sorts of things. Uh, The problem with this, some say, as with the thousand grains of sand approach to espionage, is that you end up with a huge volume of intelligence. So at least the U.S. side credits itself with being more focused on fewer, more important targets. And so you can get bogged down with just the sheer volume of leads that you have to chase down. And you can often get bad intelligence because people want to maybe turn on their neighbors and it's a good way to create problems. Another issue is that you can end up going overboard, as many believe the U.S. has with the uh, so-called China Initiative. And you can penalize people who Asian-Americans, Chinese-Americans, they get all sort of roped into one group that are suspected of spies. And so there can be great collateral damage. Um, You have scientists who then decide that the environment working in the U.S. is not conducive and they may flee. The third one that we've seen is since 
the 20th Party Congress with this full-on focus on security in China is that at a time when China needs foreign investors, the MSS has targeted many of the uh, corporate research firms in China, Mintz, Danon Company, etc. And that has sent a chill through the business community and it's not exactly uh, a welcome sign for new foreign investors coming in. I just want to backtrack a bit. You earlier mentioned the China Initiative. That was launched in 2018 by the U.S. Department of Justice, and it was primarily to fight Chinese espionage. But as you mentioned, it went overboard. It had negative consequences. Can you just explain to us why that was so controversial? How did they go overboard? So there was a lot of focus on academia, and that ties into, you know, really what the changing nature of the targets uh, now where it's all about semiconductors and STEM issues and quantum mechanics, quantum computing, et cetera. So there was a lot of focus on, especially it was perceived, Chinese-American scientists. MIT professor Gang Chen was among those arrested under the so-called China Initiative. And in the end, they ended up prosecuting a lot of them for paper violations, for filling out a form wrong, this sort of thing. He faced up to 20 years in prison, accused of hiding his ties with the Chinese government in a U.S. government grant application. But last month, the charges were suddenly dropped. Defenders of the program that I've spoken to say, well, that's the way our system works, that oftentimes you prosecute you can't necessarily get catch them red-handed. They point to Al Capone, uh, the famous gangster in the 1930s in Chicago. Uh, they didn't bring him down for being a gangster. They brought him down for tax evasion, that this is something that you often do. But it seems pretty clear that there was a number of reversals in the courts. Uh, the judges did not believe they were good cases and tossed them out. And in 2022, the Biden administration, uh, President Joe Biden administration, uh, reversed what the Donald Trump administration had done and ended it, at least officially, at least officially. Um, some people think it's still going on, but it's just more careful. You've been speaking to experts and former U.S. spies for this story. Do they see any parallels between these recent developments to previous moments in history? Well, they seem more willing to call this the Cold War than some of the politicians who are very uh, really trying to avoid that term and have, you know, all sorts of terms they've come up with, strategic ambiguity and strategic adversary, these sorts of things. But uh, the security guys don't just seem to have any problem saying that this is a new Cold War. And what we're seeing really is the old Cold War was primarily involving nuclear weapons. That was really the target. And that was also the focus of a lot of the spy agencies, because when you started to have treaties that tried to check the spread of nuclear weapons, a huge amount of the attention was on, were they adhering to these? Um, were they actually reducing their stockpiles, this sort of thing? Now it is all about AI, of course, there's a bit of nuke still, but it's all about AI. It's all about quantum computing, these sorts of things at two different levels. One, you want to find out what the other side has on this, but also it's fundamentally changing the nature of espionage because something like quantum computing will be able to go through codes and other security uh, tools that the agencies have been using. The other interesting thing here is that it's described to me that it's a brave new world that the espionage agencies are dealing with. 
we spoke a little bit about MSS creating their first uh, WeChat account, but this is being seen all over the world as the shadowy agencies try to come out the equivalent of sort of cyber operations and signal directorate for Australia came out their very first tweet in recorded history. A good Aussie sense of humor, but uh, it went something like, hi, internet, ASD here, longtime listener, first time caller. And then we had uh, MI5 and MI6, which were secretive for the first 80 years of their existence, have fairly recently both put out Instagram accounts. And you have some of the comments on there. Hey, MI5, how does it feel to be followed yourself finally? And that I thought this would be a secret agency. So they're grappling with this new environment. Part of that is driven by the fact that there's been a um, traditional mantra that espionage has been 20% open source and 80% secrets. And now that is reversed. Now you so much is out there, so much is open source that they are really having to come to terms with a very, very different way of doing that, trying to restructure, trying to uh, work that through. Nobody that I spoke to saw any chance that there'd be any let up in Trans-Pacific uh, machination and spying between the two. There were in for uh, a long slog on the spy versus spy games. That was Mark Manier. You can find his latest articles on scmp.com. I'm Jasmine Se. Thanks for listening. Bye for now. <laughs>